There we go. Hey, sorry, everyone. Um, come on, we can welcome Beth better than that. that there you go. There you go. That's much better. Thank you. Uh, Beth, they love you, I think. They're going to love you a whole lot more after they hear your story, too, just to get to know you. Beth and her family have been here for a little over a year. Um, they've been very involved in the church's life. Beth is currently uh, teaching a course called Financial Peace University. Anybody here taking it? or uh, is, does ever, How many people plan to take this? Every hand should go up. It's, yeah, it's awesome. And uh, working in children's ministry, and you guys have done Alpha, am I correct? So that's all awesome to have you here. Yep. Want to say hi? Go ahead, yeah. Hello. <laughs> um, Beth had something dramatic happen a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and as we move more and more into healings like this, part of our process is to... Um, uh, just to make sure there's no confusion or ever misunderstanding or misrepresentation, uh, we're, we're beginning the process of asking to see some medical records. And so Beth has them. And uh, we were able to, well, one senior staff was able to, one of the senior staff members was able to look at those today. And um, just, just so, so you know, so anybody out there that might doubt this, we have the, the medical records on this. And Beth, you had a big, a big, very traumatic day, October 6th, and would you share that with us and then just go into your story? Mm-hmm. On October 6th, uh, me and my best friend went out shopping, felt great, no problems, wasn't sick at all. She took me home about 3, 3.30. My two little kids had got off the bus, and I got sick. Um, I went and be- got in bed, and my back was hurting horribly bad. And um, River and Jersey are my two youngest, and they started praying. And um, River is spil- filled with the Spirit, so he prayed the whole time in tongues, which was beautiful. That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. And uh, I started calling my family and called my husband and called everybody saying, come to my house and get me. I need to go to the hospital. And it got really bad. The pain got so bad that I knew I was getting ready to pass out. And I told River that if I passed out, you have to call 911. And I did. And he called 911. And um, however long it took, they came. And they were shaking me to wake me up. And they got me to wake up. And... They took me to the ambulance, and I passed out again. And they did more stuff and got me to wake up. And they took me to the hospital, and they figured out at the hospital that I had kidney stones. And they said I was going to stay the night in the hospital, and we'd have surgery the next day. And I was fine with that. And that next morning, the doctor came in and um, said, we'll have surgery later that day, and we'll take out the stones, and you'll be fine. I said, Okay. And he comes back in five minutes later and said, um, I reviewed your blood work that you had this morning with the ones that you had last night. And you completely are in kidney failure at this point, And you're, you have so many infections, you are septic. And it's severe that you go right now to surgery. And I said, no, there's nobody here with me. I'm by myself. And this wasn't planned. And I was very upset. And... I said, I have to call my family and you know, I have to call my church. And he's like, too bad. Let's go. And <laughs> so as I'm being wheeled down the hall with the, in the bed, I'm calling people. I'm going to call. So I called my pastor in Oklahoma and I asked them to pray. They got the church praying. I called um, Lori and I asked her to pray and she said she would contact people in the church to pray, and I called my husband and my mom, and I go to surgery, and they couldn't do much of anything but put stints in, and that I came out of surgery and was fine, and the next day, he took me back to surgery to try to remove the stones, and it was, I was still too swollen and had too many problems. He couldn't take them out. So he said I could come home for a week and um, be on bed rest, stay in bed, don't do nothing. 
just stay in bed and then come back and we'll do surgery. And I don't do bed rest. I don't like bed rest. It's not what I do. (laughs) But I decided on coming to church because I know that I believe that if you're sick, this is where you should come. And I, I, yeah, I love this. Beth came to church uh, against medical advice. Is that what they call it? AMA. You were supposed to stay on with rest, but that, you came a, here. That's a secret. We won't tell them that. But, okay. but I, uh, you know, I knew this is where I needed to be. I just had that feeling. Come to church. When I'm sick, if I'm not contagious, I will come to church. And during praise and worship, something amazing happened. I, um, Tyler was singing the song and... Um, great are you, Lord. Yeah, yeah, great are you, Lord. And it was... My bones will cry out. And I said, kidney stones, I don't know if you're bones, but I command you to cry out to my God. And I command you to leave. And I am a temple of God. You are not welcome here in me. And I command you to leave. And I command you to tell God you're sorry for being in his temple. (laughs) <laughs> I was angry at these kidney stones. And we have a right to be angry at our sickness. I was angry. And as I just, I was, the presence of God was on me. And I was just praying. And it, it was so overwhelming, that feeling, you know, of, of you know, I, I didn't know at that moment I was completely healed. I just knew that God was with me. And as I was continuing to pray, I felt some, someone put their hands on my back, on my lower back, where my kidneys were. And it was like that for a while. And I turned around to see who it was, and there was no one there. And that was really amazing to, to be able to go feel that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as I was, you know, going through this prayer, and I just started commanding and saying things that I knew that was true. And I knew that my God is a king above all kings Mm -hmm. and I am his daughter. That makes me his princess and God doesn't want his princess to hurt. That's why I had authority to command these kidney stones to leave through all that. I um, got prayer after church and as I was walking through the halls, more people were praying for me. Um, Sarah Anderson and Ellie and Tim and Susan and Brad, just so many people. And I just, there was just some amazing things about coming to church when you're sick. It just makes you feel better. And so I go home, everything's fine. The next day in the afternoon, my kids were home. I had another attack and I didn't know why or what was wrong. And I call Bubba and I tell him, come home. I need you now. And my, I call my doctor, and he says, this could happen. Just go back to the hospital, and they will check you out. And it, it was just the same pain as the first time. And uh, Bubba came home and took me to the hospital, and I couldn't walk. I mean, it was, it was bad. And they found that I had blood clot. And um, they gave me medicine to take it away, and it, I was fine after that. And then I came home and uh, went to church again. Same, same thing, you know, getting a lot of prayer and just feeling great. Then I go for my big surgery. I'm kind of, you know, really excited about this surgery. And as I was waiting, they told me it's going to take 30 minutes for this. They were going to go up there and like uh, break them all up and take them all out. And I'm excited, you know, I go, go in this surgery and I come out and I find out that it took three and a half hours and I didn't know why. And, um, so I stayed at the hospital a couple of days, and then that following uh, Wednesday is when I had my um, doctor's appointment. And so I go and talk to my doctor with all these questions. Why did it take three and a half hours? You know, it's only supposed to take 30 minutes. Did you get all the stones? Did you, you know, what did you do? And this is where it gets good. He says, well, I couldn't find them. I'm like, What? couldn't find them. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, why it took so long was the, 
they have a camera, and he went inside and couldn't find anything. So he calls the ultrasound lady to come in and do an ultrasound. She couldn't find anything. So then he calls the CAT scan guy, and he comes in and does a CAT scan. He couldn't find anything, so he calls back to the ultrasound lady. She comes back and does the ultrasound while he does the camera. So they do it both at the same time, and they think they're going to find them, you know. And from the beginning, he tells me, I have a kidney stone bigger than a golf ball. And then I have nine other ones that are pretty big. And they can't find those. That's pretty big to not be able to find. (laughs) And I said, you know, how, where could they have gone? I mean, could I have passed that and maybe not known? And he's like, "Um, that's not coming out of your body. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, then could you have gave me medicine that dissolved them? You know, nope, there's no medicine. And, And he said, did you go to a holistic healer? And I said, I don't know what a holistic healer is, but I am Christian, and I did go to church. And I do believe that God healed me. And that's kind of when our conversation kind of went downhill. He wasn't a Christian, so. But I um, just, you know, I just kept going and trying to keep the conversation going. And I said, well, what are you going to do, like, what's, what's now? What's now? What do we do? And, um, he just, I, I said, well, what, what's your explanation of this? You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to write down? You know, cause he had his little tablet thing he's typing on and he just typed in unknown. And I said, can we put miracle next to that? <laughs> but he wouldn't do that. But I know it was a miracle and I know that God healed me and I know that, you know, God's our great physician, and he's in the healing business. It's what he does. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, join me. Let's just bless Beth, okay? And uh, Beth, we bless you. We thank you for your faith. Uh, thank you, Father, for the faith you put in Beth. And just stir it up even more and more. And as, uh, as you've given her this healing, it's astounding, Father. We, we marvel. But uh, we also know that you release anointing then for other healings like this. And so we just bless Beth with anointing to release healing to people who have uh, golf-ball-sized kidney stones and softball-sized tumors, and they're going to disappear. And just bless her with your peace and your joy, anointing, and continued boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Beth. Thank you. And Beth, you did a great job. Thank you for sharing your heart and your life with us. Thank you. It's really cool. Hey, we're uh, in a study called Keep Your Love On, and I thought I'd just show you the book. This, this is the book, Keep Your Love On. It's by a guy named Danny Silk. Uh, it has had an impact on our lives here. The staff has read this all together and discussed it on a weekly basis. Uh, well, maybe a year ago now, but um, you can buy these on Amazon, and uh, I would encourage you to uh, get a copy and have a copy to read along, and there'll be things in the book that we don't actually do during the series and, and vice versa, so you'll be able to really grow by having, having that book uh, for yourself. But um, yeah, I wanted to start off by telling you a story about the last time uh, I was in Zimbabwe. You know, we're leaving for Zimbabwe tomorrow, as Amanda just shared, and it's no small thing. I mean, no small thing in the respect that we are going on a 17-hour flight from Atlanta to Johannesburg, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll handle that okay. But um, when we get there, interacting with people, um, getting to know people from a, a, a different culture and a different kind of cultural mindset, where here in our culture, it's so easy for us to meet somebody and just go right into business. You know, if, if you're meeting them for some purpose, we meet and we just go straight into it. Whereas in African culture, it's all about family. It's all about relationship. It's, it's all about connecting heart to heart. And, and so there's this whole period of time where it's not really about the issue that you, you came to talk about 
uh, or that you're meeting to talk about, but it's just about connecting with the other person as a real human being and knowing something about their life and opening up your heart so they know something about yours. And that's really a lot of what we're going to talk about today in this message. Uh, the message today, the title is, The Truth Comes Out. And um, you might have heard that saying, probably more than likely in a detective movie or a, a movie where someone's in court and finally, you know, they've been hiding the truth and finally someone discovers the truth and the truth comes out. Kind of has that connotation to it. But when I use that as a title for this message today, what I'm really talking about is that the truth of what is in each one of our hearts comes out. That's just a fact. That's just the way life is. The truth of what I am holding in my heart comes out. In fact, Jesus said this about uh, this whole thing. He said, out of the abundance, this is in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, we might think, well, I thought that through carefully, and then I said what I thought I should say, and it was a well-thought-out, a well-articulated statement. What Jesus is saying here is that whether you're aware of it or not, your heart is where your speech comes from, and the heart is just the deep inner person. If our hearts are filled with fear, then what we're going to do is ooze fear, What we're going to do is communicate from a base of fear, and that's going to be obvious. It's going to be obvious in our tone of voice. It's going to be obvious in our uh, our, uh, physical mannerisms, as well as in the words we use and the the look in our eye and in in any of every other way. And so today, that's what we want to talk about. How do we move away from communicating with other people out of fear? How do we move from that to actually keeping the love on? And communicating with other people out of freedom and have confident, free communication with others. This is where I want to tell you this story about what happened the last time I was in Zimbabwe. Some of you might have heard this in the past, but uh, this was uh, 2013. And we were, I was there on a trip with Robbie Dawkins, uh, Barry Long, who's the pastor of the Florence Vineyard, and a few other, uh, a few other people. And we were going out doing a lot of street evangelism. And we had been out a couple different days on the street ministering to people, seeing people healed. I mean, just seeing some really cool stuff happen. And um, this one lady, uh, name was Condi, and I approached her and said, hey, do you have any pain anywhere? And uh, she said, pain? Yes, I have pain. And I said, well, where, where's your pain? She said, well, my hips and my legs. And I said, well, how long? she was younger than me. She's probably 35 at the most. I said, how, long's that? how long have you had that pain? All my life, ever since I've been a little girl, I've had that pain. And um, then I said, well, you know, Jesus is going to heal that right now. And I said, if you let me pray for you, Jesus will heal your pain right now. And she said, okay, pray. And there was a girl walking past. I didn't even know her. But I said to Condi, I said, you know, Condi, I'm a married man. And I don't put my hands on other women's hips, but um, Jesus lay hands on the sick and healed them. And so I, I called this girl over and I said, would you do this? Would you put your hand on? Oh, oh, here's what Condi said back to me. She said, you better not put your hands on my hips. She said, if you put my, your hands on my hips, my husband will run you down and he will beat you. So it was just fun. It was, it was just all very lighthearted and good humor. And so I have this girl put it, putting her hands on her hips. And I said, all right, pray like this. Just pray after me. So I'm praying, actually. And she's saying the words with me. And, uh, and Connie starts moving. And it feels better. It feels better. And, you know, I'm doing the thing, um, don't be nice to me, you know. Just tell me what it is. And it's about halfway down. Pray again. And the pain's completely gone. I don't know if, it, I can't remember if it was two or three times of prayer. But the pain's completely gone. And she is dancing around in the streets. Just jumping up and down with her hands in the air. And, and just shouting out the top of her lungs, Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. Isn't that cool? Yes. Yeah, that's really awesome, man. So we have been experiencing stuff like that for the last few days. 
And uh, this story I want to get to right now uh, was uh, a morning event, and we went out to a bus terminal. And it's not a bus terminal as a building, but like an area where all the buses uh, flow through. And um, uh, it was like a horseshoe curve up around and where, by buses, I mean vans, little vans that are coming and picking people up and taking them all over in the city. And uh, there's hundreds of people just milling about there. And uh, we get out of the van and Robbie Dawkins yells at the top of his lungs, Jesus is going to heal someone here today. Is anybody sick? So he, he attracts a crowd and a number of people, and he's praying for people for healing. And I took uh, three young Zimbabweans with me. They were all three black Africans. And uh, we're going down through the crowd trying to find someone to pray for. And we get refused probably a dozen times, and which is unusual because it's, it's a much more conversant culture. Um, and so we're going along, and finally, they, we come to this place where they start interacting with this elderly gentleman. And he's sitting down on the curb, and the, uh, the three of them are talking to him. And he's shaking his head yes, and he's answering. And I'm thinking, okay, they got one. They're going to get to pray for him. I'm proud of them. They persevered. This is great. They can pray for him, then we'll go back. But um, as, they're, as they're praying for him, you know, let's say he's sitting right there on the curb facing this direction. The three of them are, are right here like that, three of them. And I'm standing over about here, this far away, just watching. And a guy came out from this direction. He walked right down in between the two on this side, the two guys. One was a young lady. And he put his hands on them and pushed this one aside and just elbowed this one out of the way. And was very aggressive. And then he stood there and, and he leaned in like this and he just threw his, he was yelling at this old man and just throwing his finger at him like that to make his points and just yelling at him in, in the native language called Shona. I don't speak Shona, but I knew he was saying bad stuff. It was obvious. And so he does that for 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and then he backs off. And the three of them come back to this old, old gentleman and uh, he's just sitting there shaking his head now, mumbling. And, and I said, what did he say? And they said, he won't let us pray for him now. He's afraid. I said, why? What did that guy say to him? And they said, he said that if this man lets us pray for him, that that guy and his friends, and there were three other guys with him, will come back later and beat him. And so he's, he's not about to let us pray for him because he doesn't want to get beaten. And so... We are uh, standing there, and this thought just came into my mind and in my, into my heart because we had been talking a lot about not letting the devil have the last word in issues, and that thought just came into my mind. <clears throat> I'm not going to let the devil have the last word on this. Now, uh, Beth said she was angry at that sickness, and I agree with her. There's a time to be angry at things. In this case, I wasn't angry, uh, but what I said to these guys was, I said, where did that guy go? And the, the one standing right here looking at me, really, his eyes went from normal to boom, like that. And he said, no. That's all he said, no. And I said, no, seriously, where'd he go? Chill out. Where'd he go? And <clears throat> the other guy that was with us leaned over, took a step over. And then he turned his head like he didn't want someone to see his face. You know, like if I didn't want you to see what I'm saying to them. And he said, Van, don't. And I said, guys, chill out. I know what I'm doing. Which is a, I know what I'm doing. What a statement. I had no idea what I was doing. But it seemed like the right thing to say at the time. And, and I want to tell you. This had nothing, like I'm not this amazingly bold, brave guy. I'm not, like this had nothing to do with manhood, okay? I just want to make sure that's clear. It had nothing to do with that. But as this, as the one guy's leaning in saying, Van, don't, I look over his shoulder and I see this young guy. Now, I didn't describe him to you yet, but he's about six foot, six one, um, bigger than me, more muscular, obviously younger, 30, maybe 35 at the most. And he's, a, he's obviously like a guy who is used to getting his way. And he's not afraid to walk up and push somebody aside. And um, so when I look, 
our eyes met, and we locked eyes and never broke eye contact through this whole thing, okay? And so I walked over to him, and uh, I just said, hey, man, how you doing? And he spits back at me the words, what do you care how I'm doing? Why would you care how I am doing? And I just shrugged my shoulders and said, uh, I don't know, man, but I, I do care. And I'm just standing here just saying, I just want to know how you're doing. And he spits answers back at me again. Why do you care? Why would you care? Who are you? And then he gets into, why are you here? And, and I'm just giving him answers. I'm just saying, yeah, man, I do care. I'm, you know, yeah, hey, my name is Van. Uh, I'd like to meet you. And he, he says to me, why are you here in my country? And there's a lot of racial tension there. So he says this, there are too many white people here already. And I didn't answer. And he said, don't you have enough problems in your own nation? And I said, yeah, man. I said, I'm from the United States. I'm from America. I think I said, we have more problems than we know what to do with. And by this time, his next question wasn't so much filled with anger as it was exasperation. And the, the tone changed, I could tell. And it was then, he said, then why are you here? And it wasn't with the same anger that he had said it before. Do you know what had happened in, in the, those 30 seconds? I don't know how long it took, maybe 40 sec, 45 seconds of interchange between us. We started to connect. There was, somehow there was some connection that was taking place. And, and he was able to lower his shield, lower some of that anger. And then he says to me, when I said that about America and all the problems, he said, then why are you here and I said, because Jesus sent me here. And he looked at me for a few seconds. And he's, he's leaning back up against the car the whole time. And then uh, in one motion, he reaches out his hand to shake my hand. And he stands up and starts to walk. And he says, well, in that case, then God bless you. And he's leaving like this. And uh, I'm still standing right here. And I had his hand. And I don't know what possessed me to do this. But I did it. I held on to his hand. I didn't let go. And so as he's like, he's, he's taking this step and his arm is back like this. And I jerked it. I jerked his arm. And it was kind of like he looked back at me. And then he looked at me. And in his eyes, he said, do you know what you're doing right now? And I just leaned up into him and got as close to him as I could. And I just said, man, I said, I, you know, God bless you. You know, I'm here to say, God bless you. Jesus loves you. It's God's love for you. And then I let go and he walked away. Um, I have no idea what happened in that man's life. I don't know if, if, you know, who, I don't know. But I know at that moment, that was a kingdom encounter. And there was something of the love of God that was flowing in that thing. And uh, there was blessing that was flowing. And if nothing else, it was blessing flowing for me. And, and yet, at the same time, I think God's doing something in that guy's life. This didn't happen just randomly. But um, what was it? I mean, how, how was it that we connected? I, you know, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know his background. I didn't have any time to ask him, you know, did you grow up in a big family or a small family? Are you from the city or are you from a village? You know, what's your father? None of that. But somehow we connected, and I think here's what it was. In that moment of time... I had no fear in my heart. Uh, just no fear. I just was, I had just no fear whatsoever. And I had no judgment against him. I didn't, I, when I thought, when I th- thought and said to myself, we're not going to let the devil have the last word on this. I didn't mean him. I meant the devil. And you know, the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and workers, evil spirits that work in the darkness. So this guy wasn't the enemy. And for those moments, God just gave me this, this grace to see that. And so I had no fear and I had no judgment of him. And it was just sincere. I wanted to get to know the guy. I wanted to see how he was doing. And I want to say that if we can begin to walk in that dealing with the fear and 
not, not judging the other, dealing with that, then we're going to see relationship stuff just open up in our lives in a new way that we've never even deemed possible. And we're going to see people that we might have thought to this point are hostile towards us. And we might even think they hate Jesus because of the way they treat us. But if we can deal with the fear and if we can deal with the judgment and just, and you know what happens when that happens, then the love flows, love flows. And when love flows, then other people see something of what God has for them. And when that happens, we're going to see in our personal relationships, things change and turn around and we're going to see people come to faith in Jesus that we would, will be astounded by because we thought they hated God. And so this whole idea of the truth coming out, uh, we, we need to look at our hearts and we need to ask, okay, what's in there? So, so what's coming out? What's in there? What's going to come out? And th- one of the greatest hindrances, probably the greatest hindrance to relational connections, and, and really we have to take this up, we have to recognize it is connection I'm shooting for, not, not convincing. If I had gone over to that man thinking, all right, I've got to convince him that what he just did was wrong and someone needs to teach him a lesson about manners and about kindness. Man, if I had gone up to him with any of that in my heart, um, I might still be in the hospital. <laughs> uh, no judgment, just hurting person, we want to get to know them, no judgment. When we can begin to live that way, then uh, the, the spirit of God flows through us. But when fear controls our hearts, when fear is the motivating factor in most relationships, and, and the fear that I'm going to be hurt somehow in this relationship, the fear that if I reveal what I'm really thinking, then you're not going to want to be around me anymore. And it might be simply, I would rather go to McDonald's than Skyline. You know, I mean, it, it, it can be that simple. It's not like I have deep, dark thoughts. It's just I'm with a group of people and someone says, hey, we're all going out to Waltz or we're all going out for pizza. And is that okay with everybody? And I've been to Waltz five times in the last week, or I've been out for pizza all week long, and I don't want pizza, but I don't dare say anything because I'm afraid if I exert my preferences that that's going to upset the group or somehow I don't deserve to speak my preference. And so I just say, yeah, that's okay. It's all right. And that's all fear. That's fear of being rejected. And so when we can begin to move past that, then we're making some great headway in, in our growth and our ability to love people and to keep the love on. You remember how, what that phrase means? It is keep the switch on, keep the love turned on. It doesn't mean like keep, keep a coat on that says love or anything like that, but just like the power, we keep the power switch on so that the light power flows and the light shines. I keep yielded to Jesus. I keep the love switch on for the Holy Spirit to flow into me, and he pours the love of God in me, into me, and then his, his, his love flows out of me towards others. And dealing with this whole idea of fear, though, is so important to the whole thing because if in my heart there's fear, it's going to ooze out. But if in my heart I have faith, I understand God's goodness, and I'm, and I'm willing to say, God, you're good, and even though this situation looks tough, you're good, and I'm going to trust you with it, and I'm going to trust you that you have, you have something good in, in this for me, and I can walk into this because you're going to be with me, and that doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy or everything's going to work out in a, in a human way of thinking, but it means Jesus is with me. He is good. And we're going to plow through this together, and, we're going to, and somehow we're going to advance his kingdom, and we're going to fulfill our purpose that God's given us. And so when we walk with that confidence in God's goodness, then we release that everywhere, everywhere we go. Because it's, well, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the springs of life. Now, a spring that is flowing is uh, it's just like an unconscious thing. It's, it's picturing here 
the idea that whatever's in there just flows out. And so if, if I'm going to walk in trust and faith in God's goodness, then that's going to ooze out of me, and, and I'm going to carry that into every atmosphere I go into, and it's going to come out and it's going to bless other people. But if I carry fear with me, then what fear is, it is self-protective. And then I hide, and the goal for fear is not connection. The goal for fear is safety. And safety means I don't reveal because I just don't know what will happen if, if I reveal. And so this, um, this whole idea of uh, keeping our love on is just a powerful, powerful thing that I think is going to change a lot of our lives as we continue to go through this series. But you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about powerful people and powerless people. Remember that? And the, uh, the powerful people are people who... Uh, would say something like this, I take responsibility for my life and the choices I make. So I take responsibility. I'm not a victim. I take responsibility for my life and the choices I make. And by that, I am able to love you because I can choose to love you. I can choose to serve you. The powerless person says, I can't take responsibility for my life because I don't have any choices. They feel like they're just constantly the victim of circumstances and of other people's thoughts and actions. And so they don't feel like they they have any power to, to direct life or to make choices. And so that person really can't love because they're trapped in a system that gives them no choices according to their own thinking and in their own mind. And so <clears throat> this shows up in different ways. And there are some classic communication patterns that, um, that, that come out of fear. One of them is uh, the passive communication. And you, you guys have heard this. I'm sure anyone who's taken a, a minor psychology course has heard these things. But a passive communicator is someone who, as I've already said, will not speak what they're thinking for fear of rejection. And so they're the person that's always going to say, it's okay, it's no problem, we're okay. I know that when you said that you were tired and you didn't really mean it. And it, no, it's okay if we do it your way. It's okay if we do that. And, and they never, ever speak their, their own thoughts or their own mind because they're afraid of rejection. And uh, that's so often viewed as spirituality in the church, but it really is not. And, and what happens in those cases is, that that person goes on like that and all the while they're taking in more and more stress and anxiety because they're, they're not being open and truthful. And then that stress and anxiety brings them to a breaking point. And more than likely, what happens is they just walk away from the relationship. It's just easier to say goodbye to you. No, I don't want to talk about it. No, you didn't do anything to offend me. I just don't, you know, all, all this crazy stuff. And it's just, just break the relationship. Now, there's a second type of person, and that's an aggressive person. And in aggressive communication, the, the thought is, I matter and you don't. My way is the way we do things. And I will get my way one way or the other, whether I pressure you or I manipulate you or I just just overpower. And uh, the, the, the aggressive person, of course, um, none of us want to be an aggressive person, uh, but the, the pa- we don't want to be passive either. The passive-aggressive person just flips back and forth. They say, you matter, and then they think about it, and they say, no, not really. <laughs> and so they just flip back and forth. And the passive-aggressive person will, in private, affirm you and say, oh, man, that's a great idea. That's a great decision. I think what you did there, I think you ought to be in charge of that. You ought to be taking charge of that. No one else should. And then they walk out of there uh, and, and say the exact opposite to somebody else because they don't really believe it. They're passive in that setting. And then as soon as they move out of that setting, then, then they, they are, uh, the aggressive side comes out. Or as the author of the book said, they smile at you and tell you everything's okay, but then on the way home that night, they key your car in the parking lot. Okay, so um, in the book, the author talks about assertive communication. Not being passive, not being aggressive, not being passive-aggressive, but being assertive. Now, for some reason, I don't like the word assertive, okay? 
I, I don't know why, but in my mind, it, it brings up these connotations still of someone who's a little bit too pushy. And, um, and yeah, so at any rate, I, I, I came up with a different word. And so the other guys that are speaking in this series, men and women, you have to take note of this. Instead of the assertive communicator, we're going to call it the confident communicator. Okay? Confident communication. Confident, free. No fear, confident and free. And the confident communicator, do you know what they will say to a passive person who has their attention? At some point in the conversation, they're going to say, now, what do you think you're going to do about this? Have you thought that through yet? What steps you're going to take? Or they might say, um, hey, I really need to ask, are you, do you just want to unload right now? Are you just venting or do you want me to help you figure out your next steps in this problem with this person? Because if all you want to do is vent, then I think you know, we've gone far enough with that, and I have other things to do. Okay, that's the confident communicator. In love, in love. And to the aggressive person, the confident communicator is going to at some point just say, hey, I've got to tell you, I don't feel very good about this conversation right now, or where it's headed, or, or actually the way you're conversing, because, well, there you just did it again. You interrupt me. You don't let me finish a thought. And, and you keep, and, and you keep uh, insinuating that I have wrong motives. And you're insinuating that if I don't do it your way, I don't care about you. And I'm not good with that. that so we'll talk again. But when we talk again, we've got to do it a different way. So then to the passive aggressive, it's just as simple as, hey, are you sure we're hitting on everything we need to here? Yeah, I just have a sense there might be something else going on. And I really want to hear it because I really value my relationship with you. And I really care about you and I want to know what's going on. And if there is something going on, would you just trust me and share that with me? And so the confident person has the ability to to break through some of these, um, these communication issues. But how do we grow in that? How do we become more confident in our communication and I think it's as simple as this. It's just becoming more confident in life. It's not just in communication, but it's just in, in life. And the first thing is, who am I? You know, when people live out of fear, uh, fear brings confusion. And if a person lives with fear, then they probably don't even know who they are. Or they haven't thought about it. They really don't know what direction God's leading them in life or what their preferences are. But... The, the, um, the, the, the person that is going to grow in confidence is going to have a settled sense of who they are, and not just intellectually, but it's like a revelation from God about who they are, a revelation from God that brings healing to past wounds. And sometimes what we need in, in, in letting that revelation from God just f- flow into us and soak into us is just pointed healing prayer over issues, over things like you remember that time that you got made fun of in front of everybody in the cafeteria when you were in seventh grade and you don't realize this, but that moment was a moment that represents a whole bunch of other smaller moments in your life around that time. And you just remember that one because it's big enough to remember and it undermines somehow your sense of confidence that you could be actually acceptable to these other people that everybody's not going to mock you or make fun of you. And sometimes we, we need healing prayer just around those specific things. But um, it starts with our identity in Christ, okay? And, and knowing who we are in Jesus and really resting in that and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal more to us of who we are. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All right? In Christ, new. And when it says new there, the word new is kind of interesting. It, it has the idea of being fresh, but it's more than being fresh. It's like a better version of something. It's like the better model of something. It's like the same thing, but similar, but of a new kind. Um, think about this. I have <clears throat> a, um, a blower at my house for blown leaves, you know, off the driveway and off the lawn. 
And I bought it, and it was, it was cheap when I bought it. Just bought it with money I had. Bought what I could afford. But it won't blow a pile of leaves anywhere. <laughs> and, I mean, it will, it will blow a few of them off the driveway. But if once you get into the grass, it's just it's futile. Now, the other day, I borrowed a backpack um, blower that even when you weren't pressing the trigger on it, it blows harder than the one I have. <laughs> and and it, it would blow so hard that once you start it and then you try to put it on, you have to spin in circles to get ahead of it because <laughs> that hose is blowing and it's turning. <clears throat> so I could just get a new blower like the one I have and it would be new. It's a new blower. But that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about going to the top of the line and buying that expensive backpack blower that's going to knock the leaves five miles away when you put, put, the, put the power on. And so he's saying here, you became a new creation in the sense you became a new type of creation. Something new, something better than the old. A new version, a Jesus version of humanity. And so when we begin to realize that, you know, I really have become a Jesus version of humanity. And he's given me a new heart and he's in me and the Holy Spirit's in me. And we pray for God to give us revelation around those things. It starts to deal with some of those pains in the past. Some of that rejection stuff from the past starts to lose its strength and lose its power. But I just want to pray that right now for you, okay? I'm just going to pray Holy Spirit to come. And so just receive this, if, particularly if this, uh, this thought of the new creation is really ministering to you. I just, Holy Spirit, come right now. Uh, well, well, first, we just welcome, well, welcome your presence and thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to give us revelation in this truth. Not just words, not just thoughts, but revelation. Enable us to see this, that we're new creations through Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Okay, some of you just started to get a glimpse of what this means. That it goes beyond the head, that it, it takes the Holy Spirit to show us. And so I pray that that will continue. But know who you are in Christ. Second, have confidence in God. God's goodness and God is for you. Have confidence in him. Because what that's going to do is you're going to be able to walk into re- relationships and into situations that might, might uh, touch your squishy spots. And you might normally think, oh my, this reminds me of that that happened when I got really hurt. And so it makes me really nervous going into this because it reminds me of that. And when we really begin to think, no, God's with me. The Holy Spirit's with me. In fact, he's preceded me into this room. And he's going to be working in this. And he, you know, the Old Testament says when a man's way or a woman's ways please the Lord. And all that means is when a person's life is pointed towards Jesus, you're walking towards Jesus, not perfect, but you're walking towards Jesus. That verse says, God makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Isn't that powerful? Man, if that's what God does, then you're my friend. I might be nervous about coming in and talking to you, but the Holy Spirit's preceding us. He is good. He can make up for dumb things I say. Do you know how many times I leave a meeting or I walk away from a conversation and I'm just praying, oh God, just make them forget that one part. (laughs) You know, I just like, like, Lord, I know they're going to forget half of what I said anyway. Make sure that that is in the half they forget because that was stupid. You ever do that? I get peace from doing that. I got to tell you, it gives me courage to do that. But um, um, this illustration, in Jesus' last night, he's in the garden, and their bad guys are coming to to take him away. He's going to be crucified. And what does Peter do? Peter communicates very forcefully with a sword that night. 
You know, he normally puts his foot in his mouth, but uh, this time he just pulled that sword out and did it. And he's trying to whack off Malchus's head, and instead he misses and takes his ear off. Now, you talk about miscommunication. That is a miscommunication. And in fact, the Bible says that words are like a sword for a reason. And so you can, I'm applying this to words. What did Jesus do when Peter blew it like that and hacked the guy's ear off? What did he do? He put it back on. That's right. I don't know if he had to pick it up. Wouldn't that be interesting to know? Did he have to pick it up off the ground? Did he blow it off first? <laughs> you know, to get the dirt off of it. And then he puts it back on and, and it heals instantly. Look, I think that we can go into conversations not being careless now. I don't mean that. But with peace and confidence. If I do say something stupid, uh, Jesus can fix that. You know, I don't have to be perfect. He can fix that. And that gives us confidence and peace. So the fear is drained. And then the third thing is very simple. It is uh, what I've already said. Just don't judge others' hearts. Dwight Eisenhower uh, president in the 50s and the man who commanded the allied forces going on the beaches in Normandy. Actually, he commanded uh, three of the largest amphibious landings ever, ever uh, performed in the history of the world. And then commanded the allied forces as, as they defeated the Nazis. Um, I, I just read a biography about him by Stephen Ambrose. If you want to read a great biography, it really is good. And, and at the end, he's evaluating Dwight Eisenhower, and he said one of his greatest strengths was that he held this value, that he would never judge another man's heart. He, he would never question another man's motives or intent. And then based on that, he would go into meetings, and they would have very strenuous arguments about things, but... His theory was, if I don't judge their hearts, if I don't question their intent, then we can discuss the details, and we can, we can disagree about the details, but I'm not making it personal. I'm not attacking them. And I would say that's one of the things God gave me grace was not to judge this guy's heart in Zimbabwe. I didn't look at him as the enemy. And uh, when we can just get out of that mode of not judging, other, just, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You know, you got a good heart. you got a good heart. You've got a good heart. I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And, and I'm going to communicate with you from that openness. Then, um, then we can move ahead. And then when the truth comes out, it's going to be good. Okay, it's going to be good. Well, we're going to worship now. And uh, right before we go into worship, though, we're going to receive our offering. And so um, Amanda's going to come up and introduce us to that. Worship team is probably going to come out right now. But um, come on ahead, Amanda. Thank you.